Welcome to Leaders with Ambition, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the UK's most successful leaders working in professional services firms. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they've overcome, and to find out what traits make a successful leader. So hello and welcome to the latest in the Leaders with Ambition podcast series. And today I am absolutely delighted to welcome my guest, Francis Maynou. Francis is Head of Sales at Moore Kingston Smith. And today is going to be a really interesting podcast. I, I think every time I meet Francis, I am just struck by his focus, his determination, the positivity which you'll see shining through today. Also, this real sense that anything can be achieved and anything is possible, which Francis will demonstrate through some of the the different roles that he's had through his career. I think the way that Francis sets goals, uh, he doesn't just meet them, he smashes his goals. And the importance of personal development, which I think, again, is just so key. We'll hear a little bit later on about a new leadership programme that Francis recently attained at Harvard Business School, which, again, is just fascinating. I love the idea of some of the strong female role models that Francis has had throughout his life as well, starting from a young age with his mum and his aunts, leading to present day with his current managing partner, Maureen Penfield. So we'll hear more about those stories and the real importance of mentors in Francis's career and how now he really pays that forward by ensuring that he's mentoring other individuals. And I think this real sense of authenticity, you know, bringing your true self to work, which is what I think we all should be doing. But Francis, without further ado, over to you to bring your career history to life. Hi, Nikki. Thanks so much for having me and allowing me to tell my story. So, graduated university, but before I graduated, I actually had a four-year degree. So, in the third year, I went into industry, worked in the council department, which yeah. you know, all of my friends were and studying buddies were going to very fun, trendy uh, student placements, um, music companies and film companies. And I went into British Rail's finance department, which didn't sound great at the time, but it was one of the areas I knew I needed to develop my numbers. And it was amazing. The first thing we did, they sent me an advanced Excel course. So I really got into learning a skill that would be a skill throughout my career very early, even before I graduated, and then learning how to apply and Excel and look at numbers in a business that was going through lots of change, you know, the rail privatizations and so on. So before I graduated, had that wonderful experience and then graduated after spending time in the council department, I went into EY. Love it. Which was interesting uh, yeah. for myself. Went into the marketing department. It was, at the time, they were just launching or bringing Entrepreneur of the Year to the UK. So there was lots going on and talking to entrepreneurs and seeing what their journeys were like. And, and we were cataloging all that information and it just gave me such a wonderful insight into the minds and the challenges that entrepreneurs face. Uh, and it's still going today. It's an amazing program. But for me, it really opened my eyes and got me closer to an understanding and close to my passion. This is around how dynamic leaders lead businesses and how people grow and how people develop and handle the challenges of uh, entrepreneurialism and growing teams and leading teams and growing companies. And yeah, it was a great experience. You also had that entrepreneurial spirit yourself, Francis, before, because I know that when you were at university, you actually um, focused on different ways to promote some clubs. And that was something that really played well to the way that you wanted to develop your skill set. Very much so. A friend of mine had an amazing job at the Ministry of Sound. 
and oh, I was trying to work out a way that I could play sport at university or hang out with my friends and have a job on the weekend that paid enough that I can have to work so many hours during the week and I could apply my time to studying, uh, which I could have spent a bit more time studying if I wanted. <laughs> and yeah, he got me a job at the Ministry of Sound, which again, just seeing the dynamics of a business and seeing how people buy into a brand, yeah. uh, how they have queues around the block every single night to jump up and down in the warehouse to music. And oh, this is amazing how you're captivating your audience and the brand loyalty. And then I was asked, oh, how can we get more students here? I was like, okay, let me put my things up on. And I started running coaches into the Ministry of Sound and, you know, collecting the money and working out profit versus loss and working out you know, how many people sit on a coach and hiring coaches and negotiating. It, it was, yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, yeah, and a buddy of mine, Paul Hayes, and I can never thank him enough for how he got me into that and helped me have my first foray into being an entrepreneur. Yeah, that's great. So fast forward back into your, your career history. Yeah, so left UI after like, for my first tenure there, went to Merrill Lynch. I was there for sort of seven years in total. It was 10 to perm role and sat in the business intelligence, business information unit, um, the investment bank, banking side of the business. And it was amazing. There were just so many different data sources, you know, for share prices to you know, debt capital markets information to private equity information and how you pull it all together to provide a pack of information or a briefing document to these bankers. It was it was amazing. And I really found my inner geek, I'll be through to be honest. Some might say should be too hard to find because I am I am a self-confessed geek. But you know, in terms of the level of information, how it can be applied to make business decisions and how you can learn that information was was just a wonderful journey. And yeah, it was a great time for me and my growth. And why the city? Why Merrill Lynch? What was it that pulled you into that? Well, I think I've always wanted to go into the city. And if I go all the way back to school days and like doing GCSEs and so on, you know, I had a economics teacher who, one, well, there's two things, Mr. Vertigan, an amazing guy. First off, he showed, I think it was a video on something called Troubleshooter. So John Harvey nice. Jones, I think it was. And, he, and this guy went into companies and fixed them and made them better. I was like, oh, that's interesting. How have someone have so much knowledge and so much experience and know how to pull this lever and make this work and turn this dial and fix this in this company? It's amazing. I'd love to do that. I'm a working class, counter state, you know, black guy. I've never had that type of role. And he made it very clear. Actually, one of the great things about the city is they're focused on winning. They're focused on delivering value. They're focused on uh, making money. And it's one of the few areas at that time, in his view, and he was an ex-city trader, that um, someone can go in there and really flourish and really their background. So for me, it was a case of, work. okay, if I can go there and flourish and people not look down on me because, you know, I live in a tower block and so on, then right, that's where I'm going to set my sights. Amazing. And just thinking of that impact that person had on you, your teacher, when they had that conversation back there, it's just so powerful, isn't it? Oh, very much so. He used to say in the classroom, you know, when he'd single you out to answer a question, you know, your palms are sweaty and you're worried, particularly with something like economics. And, so like, and he framed it so well. He was like, here's your chance to shine. Oh, actually, this is not yeah. a chance for to be intimidated or for you to be worried. It's a chance to shine. So, yeah, I'm going to shine. I'm going to answer this question. I'm going to be prepared for these lessons. More for more of my other lessons, but for his yeah. lesson, I was prepared. Great guy. So then, at the time at Merrill Lynch, you you really got a lot from that, didn't you? I think one of the things I remember you talking to me about is this again the the caliber of people that you've always been surrounded by. At EY prior to that, also at your time at Merrill Lynch as well, and you know really being part of this this cohort of of 
such strong people and such intelligent people that really helped you step up in what you wanted to do and, and your focus. Very much so. Now, and that goes back to, you know, early, early days of you know, sprinting and 100 metres or playing yeah. rugby and so on. It was always a case of play and, and playing chess with my, with my older brother. You know, he's 10 years older than me. So for me, I was always trying to look further forward to see how can I improve, how can I get better, how can I challenge him really playing chess or you know, just chasing after him and running after him, which if I'm 18, he's 18 now, I should never catch him. But that push to be around someone who was stronger, quicker, faster, more intelligent, um, and he was one of the first people in my area to go to university. So I got from an early age, particularly an amazing, actually I love my brother, he's an amazing guy, and helped set the scene for Put yourself in an environment where there are sharper people. Don't try and be the smartest in the room. You should never want to be the smartest in the room. You should always want to be in a room where you can learn and grow. Yeah. So got that from a very early age. So an inspirational role model with your brother as well. Very much so. Very. Yeah. I think that'll be the theme today, if I'm honest. Yeah. And did you beat him at chess? Have you ever beaten him at chess? I have beaten him at chess. He's, he's avoiding me at the moment. I'll be brutalist. <laughs> so when you decided to leave Merrill Lynch, what was the reason for wanting to, to move on from there? Well, I was doing a lot of research and analysis around the private equity market and the role came up back at UI in their private equity team. And it was just, you know, it, was, it was a great time. They were doing some amazing deals. It wasn't just financial due diligence and legal advisory. You know, there was commercial BD, uh, there was operational advisory, you know, the real value add that you know, depending on what your view on is on private equity my view is always yeah. that they invest they grow they add value they support and then everyone exits profitably and it was it was such a great opportunity what they were trying to do and where they were looking to take their private equity but after my previous experience around the entrepreneur of the year program kind of said good things about ey and, and going back there to work in a private equity team just thought i would grow and see more facets to private equity and and uh, deal making who did you look at as your mentor there? Because I know that that's something that you've had a theme of your mentors throughout your yeah, career. Definitely. I'm not even sure she would agree that she was a mentor. But yeah, you'd look at her. Like, my name was Sandrine Harris. And yeah. you'd look at her and the way she carried herself, she was so confident. She knew what she wanted to articulate. And she knew the areas of the market that she wanted to target and penetrate and how she worked with partners. And you know, I could see her in the rooms and, and she just seemed to interact with such confidence and panache and and knowledge, and I thought, oh, yeah. Uh, but I think I said one time during my appraisal, which was like, well, you know, what, what's your goal? And I was like, well, to be better than you. Uh, <laughs> I've just laughed, I think, the usual, usual uh, smile of, yeah, that's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she's not only going to see this, so I'm definitely not going to say that I ever, ever got to uh, be sharp or better than her. Yeah, she was wonderful. But there's also, you know, some of the future partners and people who are growing their roles, and it's an amazing guy, Marco Sullivan. Now, he was in a transaction services team, I think it was back then, and I could go to him and say, Mark, explain to me what we're trying to do here in this deal. You know, the EBITDA, I'm not quite sure, you know, how do we shape this and how do we do that? And you know, he couldn't quite even say, look, you're not an accountant, get out of the way, you know, you're getting in my way. He was just so supportive. You know, and that was the theme throughout UI. I just found there were so many supportive individuals that enabled me to grow and understand the market and know where I could add value you know, by me being myself, uh, not trying to be someone else. So. Yeah, great place to be. Yeah, and I think people want to help people. If you Absolutely. are, like you say, being true to yourself and bringing your best yeah. self to work and you ask for help, people will help you. Yeah, very much so. I can only speak for financial services and professional services, but uh, wherever I've been, and I think we'll come into that in my other roles, I just found that I've got to come out of my shell and uh, look at the 
and my family um, from Ghana and I speak and it's, it's you, have, you have chiefs and you have leaders and you have elders and asking too many questions and being too pushy. This is not what we've always done. That's one thing my mother always taught me to just push. You know, if you want to grow, you've got to push yourself. So I would always say, right, you know, I've got to go and knock on that door and ask that question and try and find a way for me to uh, understand what I need to understand to evolve. Yeah, she sounds great, your mum. Yes. Um, <laughs> so you moved on from EY. Yeah, back to Grant Thornton. Uh, well, sorry, back to Grant Thornton. To Grant Thornton, yeah. sorry. And yeah, it was a great time. The business, I think, just had 350 million turnover, growing, aiming to get to 500 million, and got there very efficiently uh, with some great people. And I went in there as a business developer, became head of BD, so hiring a new type of BD into Grant Thornton. The business never had these types of BD before, and it was yeah, it was a wonderful time. And to be supported, to grow into become head of BD, and to be supported to be able to deliver my plan of having market-facing BDs who were commercial, who knew their sectors, who could add value, who could challenge partners, as well as support them. Yeah, it was, it was a great time. Um, a really forward-thinking role that you did there, Francis, wasn't yeah. it? helped to move that that area forward and I think I remember you saying to me that the support you have from the partnership group was just unbelievable yeah very much so and the business was going through such an amazing period of change and they've yeah. got uh, they still have it an off-site training facility in a place called Bradman and I remember going there whatever course or program I was working on and you had fee earners and non-fee earners and really got the opportunity to interact and yeah articulate what is your role is within the business and how you can work with them and you'd be sat sat so it's because it was a residential uh, training facility right. you'd stay the night and you'd have dinner in the evening and members of the board would come in and spend and just have dinner with us and like, this is yeah. inspirational this is the opportunity and you know, let me ask a cheeky question and let me try and un- <laughs> un- try and understand direction and strategy and you know, why I should be committed to this business and yeah you wanted to be committed to that business it was a great place to be yeah, great. And then you did a, a slightly different move. Yeah, that. there was a, an opportunity to go to a French consulting firm. Now, I was really enjoying the time with Grant Thornton, doing a lot of private equity focused activity. And it was some really, was a lot of support, as I mentioned, as I mentioned with, from the board. You know, there was Mo Morali, head of private equity, you know, just so supportive, such a supportive individual. And just a quick example, you know, I remember being in a meeting, uh, it was a really big meeting with him. and. He gave me some feedback afterwards and he delivered it in such a way that it felt like, right, let me take on what he's saying. I can grow with that help. And it was, and I just felt I was growing and growing. And now if I start putting some of this growth to work outside of the comfort zone. And I think yeah. it was a, I was comfortable there and I was happy there, very, in a consulting business who was trying to target the private industry in UK and Europe as well. So yeah, stepped away, went to his consulting business. So big plans, grow take on investment and you know, expand across Europe and the globe. And yeah, they were quite, I think, yeah. with just over a year of me being there. So uh, unfortunate timing. So I left there very soon after the acquisition and went to a startup. Yeah, mm-hmm. which was, yeah, which was interesting. Not having That's such a big move, Francis, isn't it? Yeah. You know, look at the companies that you've, well, the firms that you've worked for have all yeah. been huge firms you have totally. financial services professional services so i know you're a really entrepreneurial man yeah. to move into a startup is a big decision to make what was behind that decision making for you yeah so I, I thought oh, i was thinking that you know, after this startup i may start up my own company yeah. and yeah. so it'll be interesting to see how i would operate you know, with such 
without the infrastructure that comes at EY or Merrill Lynch and so on. And, yeah. yeah. And also without the, the, the financial backing and so on, bootstrapping is yeah, it's challenging, very challenging, but so much fun. Doing so you must have learned a lot, Francis. Yeah, you must have learned so much. much. Yeah, very much so. It was, it was a wonderful learning experience. But then ambitions very, oh, Matthew Gardner uh, yeah. approached me. I said, oh, now guess what? Kingston Smith at the time, now more Kingston Smith, the new managing partner. She's got a vision, they're planning to go in this direction. I think they might benefit from someone like yourself. And yeah, met uh, Maureen Penfold um, and was yeah blown away by her passion, her focus, her, the level of detail of uh, what it is she was trying to achieve. And then met Graham Tyler, who's now the chairman, and then other partners. And I was like, this sounds like a journey that I want to go on. It's yeah. getting entrepreneurial, fast paced, you know, new managing partner, new, I think, new board. Or shaking up the board and yeah this, this was like a fun fun place to be how did you help to develop and grow that because i know your roles changed yeah a lot so. over the last few years hasn't it and you've yeah. really been on a journey as you say um, to get more kinson smith to meet the vision that was set out to you that day and how's yeah. that gone yeah it's been amazing revenues up and business is significantly bigger than when i first joined it's a very different business than when i first joined and the value that I can add, you know, just before joining this, this session with you, Nikki, got some feedback. We did some sales training last week, global, like a few hundred people from major pack and Europe, another few hundred people from America's and feedback's come through has been absolutely wonderful and inspiring for me to continue to challenge my colleagues and different, different firms within the more global network to drive their sales activity. So for me, it's, I've always been right. Let's go and win some work, um, yeah. lose our partners and, and different parts of our business to now how can I support and grow and train and coach current leaders and future leaders to be as commercial as they can and win as often as they can. And that has been a real evolution of my role at Morkings and Smith to the extent that you know, I've recently qualified as become qualified and accredited as an executive coach, uh, well, a coach. Okay. our cup leaders and our future leaders uh, in our business and that's amazingly rewarding to see yeah. the outputs i can imagine and i think one of the things uh, that you've talked to me about in the past is this value add that you really do feel you know in your role in business development and marketing and sales that you've always got to be adding value and you know i think one of your mantras as well is to to really find out how you can help move that the firm forward yeah, very much so. But for me, I've had, as I mentioned throughout this um, session, uh, some really valuable individuals who have been able to see what they think be my strengths and yeah. then for me to bring my own um, views on my strengths and capability to uh, my role and my activity and how I work with particular individuals. And you know, yeah. when I've been able to do that, you know, I've been able to have value. And that's your point earlier, being authentic to oneself. Yeah. That makes a difference as well, I think, with people. You can, uh, I think if you can see somebody who's, who actually is being their true self at work, then again, you know, this whole purpose of wanting to role model, mentor, behaviour, I think people will go above and beyond to do that, won't they? So important. Yeah. So talk a little bit about the executive leadership programme that you've been doing, Francis, because that just sounds absolutely fascinating. Yeah, our more global network has a relationship with Harvard Business School and they run this programme every year and I was fortunate enough to attend that programme last year and it's partners and managing partners and senior leaders and little old me got to sit there and (laughs) challenge and be part of the the sessions and um, have my chance to to shine as well went into our you know, case study method of discussing challenges and issues that businesses and leaders face. And 
know, it was uh, truly inspirational. Um, the one yeah. part was from walking that was there with me. But since then, you know, sent each other messages or I had noticed this was happening. Remember we discussed that mm-hmm. at Harvard, and do you remember this? And that's exactly what we discussed at Harvard. And it's it's one of those places where you can really see how the learnings and the teachings and what they're trying to communicate is so relevant and applicable in day-to-day life yeah. uh, and how you can learn and grow from it. And you know, I definitely came off that program feeling you know, 10 foot taller and wanted to jump into any challenge that came my way because I felt I'd you know, been given the tools to, uh, to address those challenges. And did that help? I know you and I have talked uh, independently about imposter syndrome. So many people that suffer from that, both you and I, people that have done that in the past. Has Did that course almost solidify that you did know what you're doing and what you were talking about? Or when you were sat in that room, as you say, surrounded by these people, were you thinking, golly, why am I here? <laughs> yeah, very much so. But also before, you know, our, our managing partner and uh, chairman were like, yeah, this is a programme you need to go on. Oh, I need to go on. Oh, you think I'm not capable? Um, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, no, we think you will grow even more. And, and you start thinking, wow, you're really investing in my future, really investing yeah. in my growth. So you know, before I before, before I started the program, having that support validate validators, and then sitting in that room and running through some of the case studies and applying it to my day-to-day. And at one point in particular uh, around uh, perfectionism. And uh, I coached this to senior leaders and perfectionism is really insecurity in disguise. Yeah. So don't stop trying to make it perfect. Just get on with it. Yeah. And, uh, and think about the journey and the learning rather than thinking about the, the, uh, the destination and, and you'll grow. And that's what I did. I just threw myself into all of the case studies and all of the uh, all the content that we were going through. And yeah, it was amazing. It's a wonderful journey. Again, a lot of hard work from what you said to me. Yeah, there were a lot of case, yeah, there were a lot of case studies, and some of them were longer than others. And then, maybe you know, you've got these study groups, and then you've got lectures, and so on. You're right, when I get to a study group, this is not university. This is you know, lots of senior leaders, lots of experienced individuals coming in to debate this content in detail and you know, reading a case study three or four times before you step into this uh, study group was it was fun. I've got to be honest. Yeah. Oh, uh, it was amazing how times I underlined and highlighted um, and just relished the opportunity. Yeah, it's interesting going back to that kind of learning mm. later on in life as well. It feels uh, exactly. you enjoy it more than at the time when you're at university, don't you? Exactly. <laughs> Talk to me about your highlights and what do you class as being highlights, Francis? Because there's so many in your career. And I know that the way that you see highlights are more around your learns and growth. Yeah. What would you class as being your personal highlights? Yeah, I think, I think one of the first ones was winning my first piece of work at uh, Grant Thornton. Of changing yeah. firms and how soon it came in. It was an ex colleague from EY who went to a private equity house and like, let's go and pitch Carl Thornton to him. And like, yeah, Francis, you know what? We need some due diligence. It's great how you've positioned and articulated and so on. And then I came in, came back to the firm and told the partner, brilliant, build a file and do this and do that. Like, what? What do you want to do? Time to step away. It's all, all you. And it was just, it was just a wonderful experience to. Work with Fiona's all the way through the process, you know, from the uh, onboarding, the AML, and everything else. It was, yeah, it was a great experience. Wonderful to see and to the imposter syndrome piece that was my first one across the line. But then, you know, as a salesperson, business developer, you know, as good as your last deal, so just going to get the next one and let's push forward. So that was great. Also at GT, I mentioned Bradenham and the, the learning facility, but it was, yeah. I remember we used to get the train up to Manchester with Lucy Canning, who's 
director of marketing and leading and comms and everything over at Brazil's and we used to be on train together, you know, thinking and strategizing how we could do campaigns together and how we could collaborate. And you know, we, we came up with some, came up some wonderful ideas and it was, it was like a real team that you know, just felt we were and we were capable of doing anything. And that was underpinned by everyone else who supported us as a group and, and as a lady in particular. I always smile when I think of her. And Beverly Fletz, and she was Mo Morales, uh, PA, head of private equity. And so, oh, yep, Bev will help you if, if required. And yeah, someone who just always thought of you, someone who always, right. yeah, oh, can't forget you've got to be on this train, you've got to do this, you've got to do this. Oh, front. Thanks, Bev. Yeah, she was just, yeah, just always thought about the best and how to help everyone around her. Yeah, absolutely wonderful individual. That's a real highlight. Because for me, if you're, you're able to come to work and be yourself and you know that the people around you, Always want the best for you. So yeah. yeah, it was lovely working there. That's definitely a big one. And at Moore Kingston Smith, yeah, qualifying as a um, executive coach. Yeah, yeah it, it's I've been coaching a lot of our partners and directors beforehand, but when that you know, diploma was sent through, and then just looking back on the journey, it was just a wonderful opportunity to reflect and just think about all the different individuals. Because when you're you know, trying to become accredited, you have to do so many hours, and I had a number of clients outside of. Um, or outside of Walkington Smith, and senior leaders, CFOs, and other individuals and dynamic businesses, and all of their journeys was very different. And I just learned so much in working with all those individuals and just having the opportunity to reflect. Yeah, wonderful piece. Sat down with my wife and talking it through, and think, oh, yeah, I enjoy this. Yeah, it's, well, like you say, I think you know if you, when you reflect back, which I know you're a big person who does like to self-reflect as well, but to mm. take yourself back to when you're at, uh, at school being told by a teacher yeah. that is what you can do, go and achieve it, and you know your focus and determination to go and do that, and then having a qualification like that behind you, you must have just felt absolutely amazing. Yeah, definitely, as well as the opportunity in terms of going forward. You know, at the moment, I coach a number of individuals who are normally working towards a capital event, whether it be floating a business or taking on private equity investment or yeah. working for a private equity house and they're under lots of pressure and um, scrutiny and uh, the opportunity to help them decompress and they don't always get feedback. So for me to be that sounding board and for, for them to trust me, and that's the key, po- key word, I think, with this, and it's not just the qualification, but with the skills and experience and the rapport I built with, built with my clients, it's... It's that view that they feel they can trust me and be vulnerable. Yeah. When you're in a position of power and influence to then allow yourself to be challenged and supported and for you to grow as an individual as well. And I think I've highlighted that a number of times. That's what I've had around me and I've been able yeah. to be vulnerable. And also having that perspective. And there's one person in particular, Emma Kane, she's the CEO of SEC Newgate, which is on the board of charities and trustees and chair and so on, an amazing individual. and just knowing she's there, just like, Emma, I've got this question. Um, this board, I'm thinking about, and she doesn't matter where she is. She's, I think she's coming in, in LA with her family. Send her a message, and she's like, oh, just came straight back. Having that network that's there for you and you know, that are engaged and willing to support you is just amazing. And yeah, been very fortunate. Well, you've worked hard. And it's interesting you say you've been very fortunate. You've worked very hard to be yeah. fortunate. <laughs> and I think that's you know an important thing for people to recognise as well. Mm. And also this, you know, I think it's quite interesting you talk about your network. And I know you've yeah. got a very strong network. But mm. you, again, have worked incredibly hard to build a network and to very maintain so. it, haven't you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 
I recall my wife being worried about my waistline. I remember <laughs> lunch meetings, dinner meetings, <laughs> constantly out, constantly at events, meeting people. And yeah, it's, I, I always felt that because you know, I couldn't grow up in a household where you know, my uncle was a chairman of this or my cousin was a CEO of that. And I couldn't hear all of these conversations around me. You know, yeah. I needed to get out there and meet people uh, and, and really understand what they were doing and how they were doing it. And you know, there's a couple of lawyers in particular, Gary Schusnitz, he would explain things to me. And I was like, ah, so that's how it comes together. And Rebecca yeah. Burford at CRS is just so inspirational what she does and how she does it. And just have an opportunity to interact with my network and for them to be as welcoming and open and allow me to grow. It's, yeah, yeah, it's wonderful. Right. And I think I know you said to me about people building networks who are coming into the industry as well, yeah. haven't you? And how important it is to do that sooner rather than later and, and push yourself out of your comfort zone to do it. Yeah, it's, it's so important. And that's where, and for me, the big focus on ED&I and that diversity of experience and knowledge and insight if you get out there, the more people you meet, the more you get to even talking about the same subject, just seeing it from a, through a different lens yeah. that people may have. That, that just allows you, to, allows you to grow. But then also seeing how big their network is. So you know, the individuals I mentor is like, oh, you know, where is me? I can't do this and I can't do that. I don't, you know, I'd love to be a CFO or a part of that business, but I don't really understand what, oh, well, let me read one of my guys at this PA house. I'm sure they can introduce you to a CFO and you can have a coffee with them and they'll explain. And you know, some of the young guys coming through, it's, I can't believe that people are willing to give me the time, which is what you said earlier, yeah. um, or gaining access. So you know, I've been wonderfully surprised at the early stages of my career, how, who you can get to via degrees of separation. Um, yeah. I'm always on you know, LinkedIn or you know, I'll, I'll ring you guys at Ambition and say, oh, do you know so-and-so? Because I'd love to have a copy to find out how they're managing their business development or X is doing Y and you know, with the right network. Life just becomes so much easier. Yeah, and I think it's important, as you say, to you know the EDI piece that you know you are really actively involved, aren't you? Yeah, in, very much in so. that. Well, it's very you're very passionate about, it and it's very personal for you as well. And you know you're trying to help future generations of people coming through. And I know that you are very um, passionate about gender equality as well. So I think. That someone like you that's been through a journey mm. and has now got it in position of power, really paying it forward is is I think is amazing. Yeah, and it's, it's rewarding, it's gratifying. I, yeah, I'd say I'm actually well at night knowing that you know what, I, I'm always trying, but not just for me. It's for the next person coming through will then pay it forward as well. So yeah. I'm seeing that with the individuals who I have mentored, uh, what they're doing, and the reason we're doing this, Nikki, is because. They challenge me to say, you're not visible enough. I, said, yeah. I mean, our community is not seeing you and you're not doing X, you're not doing Y. I was like, yeah, but I'm helping you guys. I'm supporting you guys. Like, nope, not enough. Now you've got to walk your talk. You've got to get out there. Fine. And then you know, I always talk about the law of attraction as well. So I said, I would do it. And then Nikki sends me an email saying, yeah, guess what, Francis? I'm thinking about a podcast for you. Yeah. So yeah, it's opened my mind. That's really good news. And challenges then for you, Francis, what would you class as being your challenges? Yeah, I mean, you said it right at the start. I see you know, challenges as opportunities. And you know, the biggest challenges for me have been my growth, whether it be right at the start and you know, trying to improve my uh, confidence around numbers and going into British Rail Finance Department or whether it be trying to learn a language. And for me, it's it's been around my learning journey. And yeah learning how to embrace it and learning how to find the right ways to learn and got um, some amazing individuals so 
uh, Grant Thornton, my name of um, Rachel Bennett, who was just so helpful in working out which programs were to go on that might work with my learning style. And I remember That's going okay. through my learning style and matching that. And then Sophie Lord and you know, Victoria Pounder at Moore Kingston Smith. Um, there's so little they don't know around um, learning and development. They know everything. Well, I say they know everything because every time I ask them questions, like, oh, I want to learn this, and I think I should be doing a Prince 2 course, and I should be doing this. And actually, Francis, what are you trying to achieve? I think you might uh, benefit from this type of program. This is how you evolve. And I think it's a constant learning journey. And that has been a challenge for me because I think I know what I want. But yeah. taking a step back, allowing people who are more knowledgeable than me to help me grow has been wonderful. And you've embraced it as well. You know, I think that's the big thing. I, I do think it's hard sometimes, isn't it, when you're looking at, you know, your growth and, and you're yeah. really focused on that. And sometimes, as you say, you might want to go down one path, but someone's recommending another path for you. But and, but you have embraced it and you've gone, OK, let's go. Let's try it. Yeah. And you've put trust is a word that you used earlier yeah, on. And you really do much. put your trust in people, don't you? Yeah, very much so. And I think that's the key piece about the network. I'm, I mean, now I think about it, I mentioned quite a few neighbours. But those individuals, I trust them. And I tell you all I haven't mentioned, please, please know that I've always appreciated everyone that's helped me. And you know, I trust those individuals, as I mentioned, to be vulnerable and ask them a question that I may not, that will help me grow, even though I may think, oh, you should know the answer to that, Francis. Shouldn't you? Yeah. You should go and do some research beforehand. But yeah, my, my, my network has been wonderful for me. And I trust them implicitly and really appreciate how they supported me. And imposter syndrome, as we've talked about, that was something that you said that, you know, at times you have struggled with. And again, it's by pulling on people that you trust to help really pull you through those times. Yeah, very much so. I mentioned her earlier, and McCain, having conversations with her, whether they be very short or detailed, and now just been asked to join the board of a a few companies, and I bounced off her because you're stepping up into an area of unknown. And when she was breaking it down, I thought, oh, this is something I can do, I think. And then she just reinforces and plays to all of my strengths. And then we'll be having a conversation, uh, which enables, enables me to push down that imposter syndrome and, yeah, be my authentic self, play to my strengths and embrace the challenge because I do love a challenge. Yeah, you do like a challenge, don't you? I do. Very <laughs> much so. <laughs> and we talked a bit about, and um, previously we've met, about what the future within business development and marketing looks like. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think one of the, the the key points that you've made to me was really making sure that you're always adding value in, and also more around the tech piece as well. Can you expand on that for me, Francis? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've got some wonderful marketing automation software and we were reviewing a system yesterday that would uh, help us identify leads for our website. And uh, if you consider, we can be inundated with information and data mm. and things and trends. And, you know, it's, and it's really how do you work as a team to try and cut through the noise, find you know, the path that works for you as an organization and individuals. So when I'm coaching some of our partners that they're going to follow up on, can it be cold uh, where yeah. you know, they feel they're cold calling or, can we use technology to try and qualify the opportunity before we say, look, you know, we've gone through the data, there are degrees of separation, we know them through this, or we know X who knows them, and this is the process we think to engage with them. All of that rich data and technology just makes the sales journey or the BD journey, the marketing journey so much easier and can be so much more informed to make decisions. That's, I do think that's really interesting. You, you know, the, the amount of data, as you say, that's available now yeah. is just unbelievable, and that's going to get 
probably bigger not less yeah. um, it's about how you use data more effectively which can cut through lots of crap content and, and make Very sure that the, the firm's in a much better place to move forward so i think it'd be be definitely be interesting and something i wanted just to refer to and revert back to was you were a cadet Yes. In, your, yeah. in your previous life. Very much so. How has that impacted you in your career? Yeah, I mean, quite a few areas. So particularly when we talk about the imposter syndrome piece and how much I like a challenge and how I'm willing to jump. Uh, sometimes without looking, I grew to become a sergeant major. I had the opportunity to lead and to challenge, to take people with me on journeys and, I mean, literally journeys, you know, <laughs> yeah. mountains and so on, during our Duke of Awards and so on. And they put their trust in me to know where I was going and, I remember looking at a map and thinking, I'm not so sure now. And I'm supposed to, be, I'm supposed to know everything. Uh, and I turned around to guys, you know, as a team, where do things should go? And getting us all working and collaborating together as a team was, was just opened my eyes. Um, yeah. And then there were things like you know, rock climbing and abseiling and para- well, quite parachuting. And if my rigging is works for, for the rock climb uh, and my belay's there, I didn't need to worry about falling. If I fall off the rock, my rope's going to catch me. Yeah. So I always evaluate the risk profile. I say, okay, I've evaluated the risk. I understand, right, let's go full steam ahead. I don't need to look backwards. I can run through that wall because I know the worst that's going to happen is I'm going to graze my head or this might happen. Yeah. Um, and also you know, I face the number of the challenges. You know, start, oh, we don't have black target majors here. Really? Yeah, well, let's see. What's uh, this space? Yeah. Yeah. You're going to happen. Yeah. And like when I was promoted and, and I came through, it was just like, yeah, let's just go for it. Life's short. And trying to make the most of what you can. So it was a wonderful experience. Did a lot of traveled the world, went to Germany and other countries. And I don't think I would run long distances. Oh, Francis, yeah, you're from West Africa. You're, you're a sprinter. You can't run long distances. Particularly a lot of kit on your back. Oh, you know, we've just done a 10 mile route march or we've done Venebra's yeah. Gold or we've done, or we've done. Yeah, it just helped me reduce any limitations that I felt around me, particularly with the right level of support. Yeah. Or understanding the risk profile. You now I was willing to jump into anything. Yeah, I think you've said to me as well that at times you felt, you know, you've been marginalised by your colour. Mm. Was that more in the private life of you then than your professional life? Because it does sound in your professional life that you you had the, you know, the support, the network around mm. you. Well, yeah, I mean, the way I always saw it, and I'm you know, credit again to my mother and, and my aunt and my godmother, amazing ladies, like the way they articulated was, it's not your problem, it's their problem, whoever has uh, the issue of your race. And, if they don't want you in a team, their team not going to be as good. So I always thought about teams and sport, and that's how I rationalised it in my head. And going back to my economics teacher and then pushing it forward, yeah, the majority of the issues I've had have been in my private life, in my working yeah. life. I was in a room once where someone walked in, saw me, went, oh, sorry, wrong room. I was like, oh, who are you looking for? They're like, oh, no, no, I'm, oh, I'm, oh, I've got the wrong room. Who are you looking for? Well, this guy, he's come from Merrill Lynch, he does this, this, and this. I'm like, yeah, that's me. Wow. And the person was shocked. They were like, oh, really? Really? You? And at the end of the meeting, you could see he was very sheepish in his view. And I shook my hand. I didn't feel that I was going to make him dirty by shaking his hand or anything those lines. And going forward, he was willing to engage. And my view is my coaching, I think, we're our mentor, is trying to break down barriers. Yeah. So that's one example. But if I give an overview, I would say that going back to my other point about teams, mm. most people have wanted me to be on their team. So brought my authentic self and they engage and see what I'm about. So, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. But, yeah, I'd say more private life than a, than a professional life. 
I love your mother's take on it. Mm. Yeah, I think so. Very, much so. very good way of putting it, isn't it? And the, you know, as you say, having the support of people around you. Very much so. Some really amazing people, which I've mentioned quite a few names today. Yeah, you have. It's just really great to hear. So, words of wisdom from you, Francis. You're talking to people either yourself when you were starting out, yeah. or people coming into the industry now. What would your words of wisdom be? Yeah, I would say you know, own your own career. It's how much you grow and how much you evolve is really down to you. It's point number one, and really, and part of that is reach, knowing your network and knowing your yeah. network's network. And you know, it's not just your network. Um, LinkedIn's a great tool for that. You've got to get out there. I mean, it's so vulnerable. And then there's a quote, I think it's by Barack Obama, who says, uh, change will not come if we wait for some other person or some other time. We are the ones we've been waiting for. We are the change that we seek. So if you want to change... Very powerful quote. Yeah. <laughs> it's, all, it's all within you. So really push and really strive. And you'll be astounded if you've got people who can support you if you're going to fall. But yeah. make sure you do fall and just get up again. Yeah, and and that's a positive, isn't it? As well, to make mistakes, learn from them, and totally. move forward. Yeah, that's it. Fantastic. And also, I think one of the things that you and I talked about was really to make sure about this self, bringing your best self to work, yeah. and you know that authenticity. And I think you've really displayed that in buckets throughout this conversation today, Francis. I have to say, it's been really fascinating talking to you. I think you are such a focused man. I think that, you know, you are a member of a team and you're a team leader. Uh, you know, your style, I think you get people to really come on those journeys with you. And I love how much commitment that you give to mentoring and coaching and developing other people because you've had so much yourself that you definitely are paying it forward. And uh, I'm sure people will get a lot from the meeting, the conversation that we've had today. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Nikki. It's been a wonderful trip down memory lane. Yeah.